and welcome to All Government of the Podcast. As always, I am Abdullah, and my guest today is, introduce yourself. Hello, hello, hello. I am Gabrielle Walsh. Happy to be here. Nice to meet you. So how did we get here? Like, what is your journey into acting? <laughs> oh, God. We're going to go from the, from the genesis? <laughs> from the I very mean- beginning. <laughs> Oh, and some cliff notes. There was a dark and stormy night and she needed to get out of her head. And so she started playing with the shadows on the walls. Um, I, I, I got into acting, I think, through um, the love that my father showed when he would show me these old uh, movies, you know, um, Greta Garbo, Clark Gable, Betty Davis, and, you know, like these epic stories and the romance of it all. And I just, I loved it. And I loved watching how it affected my father, not knowing these stories, but, you know, just, just seeing what it did to um, him as, as a, as, as a, as an outsider, you know, resonating with that. Um, And me, myself, I come from a very diverse background. My Dad is Irish, grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Mom's African-American on the south side of Chicago. So I had like different walks of, of, of life and, and wanting to, I guess, understand myself better um, and my life better. I, you know, became fascinated with how people work and what makes them tick and and why uh, what are their motivations and how they feel and um through that i i wanted to be an actress and i think the first speaking role i ever had was in a school play i did not audition for this i just so happened to get the role of improving and messing up the abc's and i messed up the abc's and um uh just I started messing it up saying radio stations and everybody laughed and that was it. I was like, I'm in here. This is, this is my jam. This is my crack. And, um, and yeah, from there, I, I, I think in junior year of high school, I started to take it more seriously as a career option. Then I auditioned for this play in high school and, um, got in, in, in there and really loved being on the stage and auditioned for my uh, college. I went to, and I studied acting at NIU in Northern, Northern Illinois university in a little town, like 45 minutes, um, North of Chicago, uh, uh, in DeKalb County and got to study in, 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 in that for four years and study in Russia for abroad for a semester. And, um, just fell in love with the stage and learning about like what acting actually was. Um, I thought it was a lot different than uh, than I expected. And I went on this journey of self-discovery with acting and that led me out to Los Angeles. And yeah, now I've been out here for a while. And was LA all you dreamed of or was it completely different than the romanticized idea of what LA is. Oh, Hollywood Boulevard crushed my soul. I was like, what is this? This is not what I expected. Where's the red carpet and the lights? Um, I, I actually, I actually like wanted to, after leaving college, go to New York 
I love New York and the energy there. I had never been to Los Angeles um, and didn't know much about it, but for a graduation gift and because I was hearing uh, from a lot of people that people who are younger and want to break into the industry should come to LA, I got a uh, trip out here as a graduation gift to uh, be in some classes and uh, audition for the agency that I'm with to this day. And I ended up getting in with them and that's why I moved out to LA. And so when I first got here, I, I was like very hungry and eager to go to Hollywood Boulevard and, and see what it was about. And I mean, you know, the, the handprints are the handprints, you know, the Chinese theater is a Chinese theater, but I think it was definitely not like some glitz and glamor that I thought of. It was more of like a gritty city with this accumulation of, of just different, interesting people from all over the place, you know? So I didn't really come here with a lot of expectations as far as who I was going to meet and what it was going to be like outside of just like seeing the magic of, of that, that strip on Hollywood Boulevard. The rest I think was pretty, pretty open that I think helped with my experience um, getting here. Yeah. And do you feel like it was worth it all these years later, you know, hindsight being 2020 and whatnot? What was worth it? Moving I mean, out here? Yeah, moving out here because, uh, you know, cost of living has gotten. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, I'm lucky to have the place that I have right now, you know, and I've gotten here, uh, you know, five, six years ago. That's an interesting story, too, that deals with um, close enough. Um, but yeah, yeah, yes, yes. You know, I've come to a point in my life where I feel like, um, despite whatever, uh, struggles, adversity that I face, that, um, all of it is, is, has, um, built me up in a certain way to be able to have a, a sense of, of strength, power, and purpose within my journey. And I've learned a lot about myself and uh, how to adapt and, you know, making that choice to adapt to and to grow no matter what, you know, what life threw at me or how crazy, you know, this, this business was or learning about the business um, just to begin with coming to a new city out of, you know, uh, coming from Chicago, a place that I was familiar with and, and grew up in to coming to a completely different a city that, you know, and, and jumping into the business of acting and what acting was uh, out here in and auditioning versus uh, in school and learning and developing and cultivating a role. And, and um, I don't think I would have changed it for anything. I think all of it um, was a part of making me who I am today and all of the things that you know, were either difficult and hard to navigate and sucked at the time now have made up a part of what makes me a, a better actress and a better person. So no, I don't, I don't regret it. I don't regret Los Angeles. I love it. And what are some of your biggest inspirations? My biggest inspirations. Huh. My biggest inspirations. I think at this, at this point in time, um, it's been, hmm, 
my biggest inspiration is 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 why I'm doing what I'm doing now, why I chose to be an actress and where that came from um, in this journey. And I talk a lot about, you know, like on my like social media platform and, you know, like what that journey was and, and um, just right now talking about self-discovery and who I've become through it. Um, I feel like the biggest thing that keeps me going is remembering everything that, you know, I've, I've come up against um, throughout my life and um, being able to still connect with the passion of why I started acting in the first place, which came from a place of feeling like I wasn't being seen or heard. And I think a lot of actors have that um, in common. A lot of people have that in common, you know, Not feeling like they're able to uh, speak their truth or um, have their, their voice be heard in, in the way of, of, of the expression of, of, of themselves or their experience or their pain or, and, and feel, um, at, at times lonely. Um, and I experienced that a lot growing up and, and through that wanted to, um, express myself and also connect with other people and have them feel less alone and like somebody understood and 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 got them at the end of the day and was able to express a part of their truth through these characters through these stories through this life on screen you know um so in part uh, being the the journey that acting and, and going after my dreams and life has took me through as, has been an inspiration. And I, you know, look at uh, different people with inspiring stories like uh, Taraji P. Henson, who slept in her car with her son. And, you know, uh, she didn't really blow up or get that role until she was like into her like 30, I think even like forties or something like that, like almost 40 years old. Um, and uh, I just love hearing about people who have faced some type of adversity and have made it through and, and turned their pain into power and purpose. And I feel very connected in that way through my acting and, and through how I've been connecting with people um, in my life and, and on my social media. So I think I, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> I'm just getting the inspirational stuff out the way because, you know, I know that there's going to be like when we go into detail about close enough, it's a weird fucking show. And the dichotomy between something inspirational and then going like, oh, yeah, I remember when I played the the mom who had to fight a snail who had like a time traveling. hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, I, get I mean, there's yeah. So um, how did Emily come along? Like, how did Close Enough come along? Because the, the history of the show is kind of scarce. Like, there's not much information about the show. And I know that it was close, you know, ironically enough, it was close enough to becoming Lost Media until, like, uh, HBO uh, Max picked it up. And we were wondering, like, was this ever going to come out? Because uh, I remember the... <laughs> I remember the trailer. You and me both. <laughs> 
I remember the trailers from like 2017 and I'm like, when is this coming out? When is this coming out? And we, I was just trying to find any information I can about it, but it was like this urban legend. It's like, does this even exist? <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, Emily and playing Emily and how Emily came about was actually another inspirational blessing for myself. Um, I mean, but honestly, like you knew as much as I did <laughs> as far as when it was coming out, you know, like how it kind of um, developed throughout uh, the span of four years was, um, uh, I think, a surprise to all of us who worked on the show. You know, I I, I think it was, when was it? Uh, 2016. Yeah, 2016. Um in my journey as an actor out in LA in and out of, you know, un, uh, in and out of employment and, you know, trying to make ends meet and figure stuff out, out here, I got a, a voiceover audition, which normally I, I, I hadn't auditioned for any voiceovers before, you know, I've always had an affinity towards like cartoons. Like I love, um, like American dad, family guy, anything that has like some like social commentary and the like adult cartoons. And, you know, like at the time, funny enough, like it was my go-to to kind of like decompress from all of the just crap that I was feeling in, in life. And, um, this opportunity came up through my agency for this voiceover. And I, um, I went to a friend's house to have him help me out. And, uh, we recorded it on my iPhone, underneath like a blanket or a towel in his uh, living room apartment. <laughs> and um, I, I just, I, I loved Emily because I felt like a lot of, you know, um, the, the voice of logic, the voice of reason has been something that I've resonated with throughout my life and with my family and trying to get everybody like in, in order and, and um, still enjoying their, their quirky craziness, you know? So I, I, I recorded the audition and I ended up getting called in with uh, JG Quintel and um, went in the studio. And actually right before I, I came in, uh, they said they also wanted me to sing as well. And um, anybody who's my friends who knows me, like I am not trying. I mean, I sing in my, my life, like my life is sometimes a musical, but not in public, not to strangers. That was terrifying for me. And I think the the fact that you said it was like more of a Simon and Garfunkel type of deal, like it put my mind to ease. Like, I'm like, okay, I can be funny in this too. Then I can handle it. And I went into the studio. We had fun. I sang, which was, you know, definitely breaking one of the barriers within myself. And I ended up booking the, the show. And um, through that, I... I, uh, I actually at the time was like, uh, in between jobs and working like Postmates and was facing an eviction from my old apartment because we didn't pay the rent on time. And I was looking for a place, but you know, what I was making from Postmates wasn't, you know, making the cut. And with the, uh, contract from close enough, I was able to get my apartment. Like, hey, this is, you know, like not even um, having, you know, like a full, like, you know, we hadn't even started yet. We started, I think, like even like a month or two after I had ended up booking it and I got into this apartment through that. Like, it was just like, oh, my God, it was God. And um, 
then we started working a month later and we had all these awesome sessions with everybody in the room. You know, it was like, it's way different than it has been now. Everything's been separate, of course, because of COVID. Um, But everybody was in the room and kind of playing off of each other. And I got to figure out, you know, what voice acting was, at least, you know, um, the technical aspects of it, which I stumbled through in at the beginning. And if it wasn't for uh, Chris, Chris uh, Salter, the, the casting director, director of uh, Close Enough, I, <laughs> I would have been really lost. I was like, you know, popping my peas, hitting the stand. I would sometimes, you know, like kind of like move away because I was so used to movement. So it was definitely a learning curve and being in the room with all these great comedic, you know, like actors and voice actors, you know, it was um, pretty intimidating, but um, it was awesome to get to see and learn from them. And we recorded um, larger episodes than there are now. Now they're like 15 minute episodes at the time. Um, they were like 30 minute, 30 minute uh, episodes and it was going to be on TBS and we recorded everything at Cartoon Network. So it was Cartoon Networks and, and it was going to be on TBS primetime. Like TBS wanted to, you know, uh, order more uh, cartoons. They had ordered, forget uh, the other shows that they had uh, ordered at at the time. Um, I think it was, I can't remember. Anyway, um, yeah. So we had recorded those 30 minute episodes. We came in, we did pickups and it was you know, like I, I felt like it was great. Everybody was having a good time, at least in the room. And and then uh, we just like would go away for uh, several months, just like six months at a time and come back and we record. And they were just like trying to like find it, find their formula for this show. Um, and what they ended up doing was splitting the whole episodes in half. They felt like it read better that way. And after like a few years, then a whole other team of uh, people, producers and stuff came in and we, uh, you know, went back to uh, making those half episodes kind of whole. And after that, it was kind of like, um, H we heard HBO was coming in and then picking it up. And I'm like, I don't, I, you know, like, what does that, that mean for us? And, um, that it was going to be out and there were going to be 15 minute episodes and, um, and, and yeah. And then 2020 after, you know, the pandemic hit, we ended up, you know, premiering during in the middle of the pandemic. So it was, um, I feel like as much as you knew, we were kind of finding out, on the fly as well. And just as eager to figure out when it was going to premiere. Yeah. Um, the, the history of the show is just really crazy. And honestly, I'm surprised it even aired at all because it was just, it was just one of those things where I didn't know if they were going to, because I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, pre pandemic, I don't think that they would have been interested in, in, in these types of shows because it's like, well, animates, it comes, it's like, it's very niche. It's like, you know, why, why do we, 
why why are we bothering with animated sitcoms when people just want to watch The Simpsons or Family Guy? You know, those those shows are still around. You know, they they can you know watch those if they want to animated sitcoms. But I'm glad that I mean it's it's both a blessing and the and a curse. We're living in an age where streaming has pretty much taken over everything. It's both because it's yeah. great because you're starting to see more experimentation, but it's bad because you know. Uh, <laughs> A lot of there's just too much content that I can't keep yeah, up. There's with a lot it. of content. You forget about it. You know, like I've watched shows and then I've kind of like a year later, I'm like, where did I, where did I even like and and end off on that show? I don't even remember. I would have to like look back and and watch it again because I'm like binge watching so much. You know that it's just like, yeah, everything has less of an effect. Um, but. I feel like because JG had such a a giant following, you know, with the regular show and such success on that, like there were a lot of people that were just like hanging on to see where this would go. I remember even when they had uh, released the trailer, um, I feel like they released the trailer and it didn't even come out for like an entire like year, year and a half after, you know, Um yeah, but I get I get where you're coming from. I get what you're saying with the you know platform content, streaming content. And and um, when the show finally came out and and you watched it, was it weird seeing seeing it for the first time? It was because I didn't I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what they kept, what they took away. Um, you know, it being 15 minute episodes, thinking of some of the things within the episodes that we missed. Also, my memory isn't always that great. So I'm like, what did we do there? It's been four years. I don't even know. (laughs) I'm going to let it surprise me. So it actually was like watching something new for the first time and remembering, um, you know, those moments in the studio and stuff, which was, it was cool. It was cool. I liked, yeah, I liked it. I was nervous for my singing parts, of course, (laughs) even though they're comedic. No, I I love the the we're making a quill for Candace song. That was a pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, they're good with it. I wish they would, you know. I wish they uh, did some more with uh, Bridget and uh, Emily's band and getting them out there a little bit more. But you know, we did go to Kazakhstan. I can't even. It was the Men Rock episode. Yeah, yeah. Um... That was that was weird because um the only I think like two episodes focused on the band, like the the dog boy episode and the mm-hmm. and the uh Russian episode and and it's and it's kinda weird because I keep forgetting like, oh yeah, no, there's supposed to be there's this whole there's this whole other side to their characters that it's barely explored. And I think I think it's because it's hard to get um, especially with with everything being recorded remotely now, it's hard mm. to record vocals, uh, uh, singing vocals remotely. I, I right, think that's right. the case. So. Well, they may have re-questioned my my singing abilities, <laughs> 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 but it was a lot of fun. Sometimes I'll like sing a little something for them just to you know remind them we can still do this, we can still explore it. Um, yeah, I, I, I was wondering why they didn't explore that more with uh, Bridget and, and Emily. But, you know, um, we I'm thinking like the most we had was the Men Rock episode. 
And uh, Dog Boy was kind of like Bridget wanting uh, Emily to take their band more serious, like they could go places, but that's never, never was like Emily's thing. Emily, her dream is her family, you know? Um, and uh, Prank Wars, they had like a little like excerpt of something, which is, the songs are funny. I wish they would play with that a little bit more. I mean, it's tough because you only have like an 11 minute run time for each episode sure. and it's like you know you yeah <laughs> rush through it <laughs> get a song in here we're not like you know trying to be like bob's burgers either you know they got a song for like everything which is great but they're you know bob's burgers um was weird al in in the studio with you guys when he recorded his part i didn't get to see i don't i wasn't there i wasn't there <laughs> so i didn't get to see that but um i i remember meeting um uh, Hasselhoff and taking some pictures with him uh, when he was in the plugger inners episode or what was the name of that episode where Josh is, you know, having to plug in, you know, uh, clap like this, stuff. clap like this. I think it was. Yes, 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 yes. So I got to meet him, but I did not get to uh, meet weird Al. Unfortunately. Cause he had, he had the funniest line in, in, uh, in uh, season one where, He's explaining his songwriting and he's like, then I take this, this thing and, and summon the demon Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And then when he dies, he's like, I just wanted to go to a parody. <laughs> like, this makes sense. I, I, I think this is, this is what really actually happened. <laughs> and then I love how in the end, his, his ghost appears just to get mauled by a <laughs> ghost bear. <laughs> so clever with that stuff <laughs> i love i love um that it's just so like outlandish like that you know that it's you know these adults trying to kind of figure out adulthood but it's like a freak show at the same time they do that well and what i love about the show is that it's not cynical it's not like rick and morty where it's like you know not very nihilistic in tone it's very more it's positive it's more um it's more hopeful and I think like watching it and watching something like this in 2020 and like the nightmarish reality we're currently living in is is mu it's very much needed. And I think more shows should uh, be more um, positive and less cynical in mm. terms of storytelling. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you take away all the weird shit that goes on in the show. <laughs> it's still about essentially a family of of 30 year olds trying to be good parents and I yeah think that's wonderful and you know like yeah it's it's kind of beautiful like they all like end up going after sort of weird various goals and ambitions and and sort of like in a place of not exactly being happy with where they're at and where they think that they should be but then at the end of the episode they find you know like after they've gotten through the, the misadventure that they find that, you know, that the gratitude for what they do have and that they have each other at the end of the day, which is really beautiful. You know, like I, I, I didn't really think about that until like I was thinking about this interview and, and what close enough is, you know, like, it's like, even, even though we're not where we feel like we should be, or these expectations that we had of what life should be at, this point in time um we're close enough and that's that's good with us and i think that honestly like one of the things that bothers me is that like it's 
It's a great show, but I think a lot of people are still continuing to sleep on it. And I think, you know, uh, you know, it, it'd just be nice to see more love for it. Yeah, I, you know, like, I don't, I don't know what it, I feel like I don't see it advertised that much. You know what I mean? I think advertising is everything. I think there's still um, a lot of people who, you know, from loving JG um, have spread the word and like done their thing and, you know, HBO does their thing, but I haven't really seen, you know, it, it being put out there, which I, I'm, I'm not sure, sure why, but I would like to see more people catch on to it. I think it is, you know, a pretty good show, not just because I'm in it, but I actually do enjoy watching it and enjoy the stories and the characters. And look, in an era of shows that are like an hour or so, like it's annoying how nowadays if you're going to watch like something, you better make like, you better have like eight hours to spare because like that's how it, how much it takes <laughs> to get through to get through yeah. a season. You can get through the entire two series of Close Enough in like, I don't know, an hour or so because they're short. They're It's really short. You know, so I, I don't yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and we want to, like, I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but I, I like binge watching is like my crack. Like sometimes I'm like, I can't even go on Netflix because I will get nothing done because I will start to watch something. And if I like it, we're not going to be done watching this until like two days later. But with close enough, I can like sit there and watch it and laugh and go and cook dinner and come back and like, you know, all right, cool. We can put down the crack of the television for a little while or we'll be finished with it. You know, at least by the end of the, um, by eating dinner, but with everything else, I am like glued to the television for, you know, the next few days and, uh, thinking about all the stuff that I didn't do. <laughs> But I think that's not a good attitude to have, like watching a lot of these hit shows. I mean, as an actor, I don't think it's a very it's it's very um, healthy to watch these a lot of these hit shows and be like, ah, oh, God, I wish I was on that because I think I, I, I don't like that. I don't like hearing stories about that. People getting upset about not being in these shows. You can't compare yourself. I think that's where we all kind of like fall um we fall victim to kind of comparing ourselves because our ego is so wrapped up with like uh, achievement and that being uh, tied to our self-worth. So then when we see other people who are in positions that we desire, we compare ourselves and our journey to them. And it's just like, everybody has their own path. Everybody has their own thing. Everybody has their own strengths and, and their own weaknesses. And, you know, like, as long as you're like out here to do it and you keep putting the work in, like, you're going to see something from it. But, you know, like I, when I first started acting, I started not being able to like enjoy watching things because I was just thinking about acting, you know, and I was thinking about, you know, like, well, where did that come from? How was their motivation? How did, you know, what was their sort of process in getting there? Like, what did I see with, the, you know, and I, and I, I couldn't watch it just for story, but now I find myself getting lost in these stories and just in enjoying um, like what people are doing, especially with TV shows, you know, like ever since like breaking bad for me, like I used to want to aspire to be more in, in to films, but now I, I love a good TV show because you can continue a life with that character. And it's like, I'm watching an ongoing film and it's, and it's beautiful. And I get to see this character continually develop and not just develop through the course of a, a few hours, but through the course of like 
a whole like five years, <laughs> you know? But I think that's more to, uh, I think that's more about like how, how, um, how writing has changed when it came, when it comes to television. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of TV shows back in the day were, uh, written in mind with syndication. So you had, um, you had stories that were just uh, self-contained. So like, right. it's just like a golden girls, for example, let's just use Trying that to show. Please everybody in a way, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, just, just like use any, any sitcom from like the eighties or nineties, you can watch any episode of that show and you pretty much have seen the whole show because that's pretty much the entire show. But right. nowadays it's people want more stories that last longer. Yeah. So you have, um, so it's like, you have to, you have to like watch a show from season one to understand what's going on in season two or three or four. Cause if you miss an episode now, it's like, you're, you're done. You know, you're, you're you know, you're not gonna, you're not right. gonna know what the fuck's going on if you're not, That's if you haven't like been paying attention or something, you yeah. know, um, which even in that they have like character narratives, you know, I mean, of course you, you can jump in and watch it anywhere and you get, you know, basically what the show is but those character narratives you don't you know know unless you do watch the entire show i never thought of that and i think you know like we're breaking like uh just uh, breaking through like different ideas like that whole like like breaking bad like anti-hero like now the anti-hero is like a cool thing like the inner workings of boy you know uh, uh quote unquote like villain and and being able to empathize with them to a certain extent, just like the Sopranos or something like that, like doing things that kind of are just like where we're seeing taboo or dangerous and, you know, um, being able to like kind of skew that moral code and be fascinated and empathize with those kinds of, of, of people or characters, which I think made a major shift in um, television yeah, because um, I think after The Sopranos, everyone was like, huh, morally ambiguous characters. <laughs> Let's play with that. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do, do you, I mean, of all the shows you've watched, do you think that that's going to be becoming more of the norm now? We're going to see more, more morally ambiguous characters that we're going to evolve beyond you know, beyond the need for this guy's a good guy and this guy's the bad guy, you know? Well, no, because I think we always search for that either way, even with Tony Soprano, you know, like we're we're looking in those qualities within him that are redeemable, which I think is very valuable as people, like, like instead of sitting and judging someone, finding where they come from, you don't have to agree with what they do, you know, like clearly, but like being able to empathize, I think is a is a superpower. Uh, you know, like for people. And I think that you are going to constantly be judging things off of like good or bad, you know, um, I think I, and I think a lot of shows do that even now, like in looking at uh, Euphoria, I haven't looked at the new season, but just like this girl's a drug addict and, you know, like she's like kind of making a mess of her life, but we like to watch her make a mess. And we know that there are some things and motivations within her that she desires to understand or to be good but then you know in other ways she's like giving into her you know her demons her shadow self and how she struggles with that and we're interested in seeing what that is 
you know? So I think the exploration of the human soul and, 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 um, those shadow parts of self, I think, yeah, I think, I think we're, we're already, we're already doing that, you know, we're, we're already like getting into that. I mean, maybe that started with the Sopranos, you know, but you know, we got Ozark too. Same, same, same deal. Dexter, Dexter before that, which, which I had to stop watching because I was just like, I did question myself. I'm like, why am I rooting for a serial killer? Okay. He's a serial killer with a moral code. This is a great story, but I feel kind of weird. I'm like, I need to stop watching this, but, um, they're very intriguing. And I think, you know, uh, gets people to kind of like look into themselves and maybe be, you know, like, I mean, hopefully not just like purge the, the negative, but just be a little bit more empathetic and less judgmental with themselves and hopefully less judgmental with other people, you know? And that's just what I think or I hope from it. Well, I mean, what you say that like we're not living in an age where people lack empathy. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of like polarization, you know? There's a lot of like this side or that side instead of trying to see people. There's a lot of blindness because I believe there's just been a lot of, you know, fear. And I think when people aren't acting in empathy, it's uh, or not acting in 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 love, uh, the opposite of love is fear. So they're fearful. They're people we're fearful of what we don't know, what we don't understand and it's so much easier to make assumptions and to draw conclusions even if they're wrong in order to feel safe than actually venture into the unknown yeah i mean i think that's kind of pretty much human <laughs> human existence in general is just like <laughs> it's better to just to just 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 assume the worst instead of just like let me just put you over here real quick so I don't have to deal with you and I can just do whatever I, you know, impulsively want. No. Um, but yeah, we could use a little bit more of that, that empathy with each other, not with necessarily like serial killers. And I mean, well, with everybody, but you, I'm not saying, yeah, empathize with serial killers and, and mobsters and stuff like that. And that's what we need in the world, but just being able to, um, zoom out, zoom out a little bit and see more of a picture and, 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 uh, have the curiosity and compassion to look at each other and ourselves, no matter where you come from or what your background is. I, I, I think that, um, that that's kind of hard to do now because I think people have gotten so used to the idea that like er, that, that everyone is like that, that every, everything's just morally just. And I, I, I don't like this idea. I don't like the fact that I live in a world now where anybody can look through my social media posts and pull up something from like 10 or, or 13 years ago and be like, See, I told you this person was horrible and you continue to you guys continue <laughs> to give him a platform or what have you and I'm just like mm -hmm. you do realize personal growth is a thing, right? That we all yeah. do stupid shit that yeah. we regret, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, what did you do, Abdullah? What did you do? <laughs> that we're going to find out about, huh? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's it it sucks. I think you know we need to give. Um, you know, I I think there's a lack of compassion for people to be able to grow. People think or just want to put people at fixed points. Like, all right, you're going to just, you are this way. You were this way 15 years ago and you're going to be this way till, till you die. I think that, you know, accountability is important, is an important part of growth. Chaos is an important part of change, but not necessarily creating it and damning other people. You know, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to draw a certain conclusion, write you off and try to write you out. But to be able to be like, hey, you know, where are you coming from? Um, You know, hey, look, uh, I want you to know that this was wrong or insensitive or, you know, like this just um, made me feel uh, uh, disrespected in regards of just a person or, you know, whatever, and, and, and be able to express that. And, um, in a, a, a respectful way to be able to come into some type of communication or, or agreement instead of people in fear of just, you know, losing their, their lives, not like dying, but like, you know, not being able to work, not being able to go anywhere, not being able to express themselves. And so you're, you're scaring people into a position rather than them arriving at it themselves. And yes, I do think, you know, like some things need to be, you know, brought into the light. But at the same time, I think, you know, allowing people the opportunity, one, to ex- express themselves and to grow is so important. Because at the end of the day, like, do you just want to be right? Or do you want to grow? Do you want to learn? Do you want to um, create and bring a sense of, of unity and acceptance? If you're asking for a sense of acceptance and respect, then I think that should be a, also a point of where you come from. Yeah, I mean, it's not... I mean, it's tough to really talk about this because I, I feel like it is not a... a it's. It's not a simple black and white issue for me because there are there are times where I've succumbed to anger. I I really get angry sometimes and say stupid shit that I don't, that I don't mean. Or there are times where I've felt like, oh, this person is you know terrible. Why are they being given a platform or what have you? But it, right. it's just like at the end of the day, I, I feel like we've become so infatuated with this i with just being right all the time we don't yeah. care if we're being mean to someone or if we're just trying to ruin a person's career or what have you we just want to be right cuz i i remember like seeing this thing on twitter where people were trying to boycott a show because of some a storyboard artist drew fan art that they didn't like so they were like complaining and they're like oh man you know, the creator of this show supports pedophilia because of this fan art. And I'm just like, oh. what is this? What? How, why is this the norm? Like, what the fuck is this? And I just don't like that because it's, yeah. it's just trying to hide the fact that you're just trying to be trying to ruin someone and trying to hide it and try to hide it and say, no, it's for this good, good cause. But it isn't. 
you're just being a dick. <laughs> to put it quite simply. Um, yeah, I mean, attention seekers, you know, and we'll go to different lengths to try and be noticed. Um, I do my best not to feed into it. You know, um, I don't want to put too much noise into my atmosphere because then that's what I will hear. And that's what I will see. It doesn't mean that it's, it's going to go away. Like I remember working on, uh, 911. I I worked on that show for a few years and, um, I I had gotten warned by uh, some of the cast that there were a lot of fans out there that wanted, um, the two, my love interest, um, uh, uh, Ryan Guzman and and Oliver Stark, uh, who are both firefighters, to be be with one another, but neither of the actors desired that, and that just wasn't their character, you know. Um, and so I was coming in as the new love interest, and they were like, "Hey, just warning you, you may get some hate." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I hadn't really, you know, I mean, I experienced it a little bit when I was on Shameless and I played Tanya and they made me steal that damn baby. And I knew that they were going to, I'm like, I know that the fans were going to hate me because of that, but not really, not that much. But with this, like I had people writing on posts that, you know, when I would post about the show or something like that, you know, like I wasn't even a person, you know, and I was just, I, I had to, you know, uh, sit back and, and I, I'm an empathizer, you know, like I try to like see where people are coming from. Cause I want to draw a conclusion and understand at the end of the day. And, um, at the same time, I don't want to allow, you know, whatever is feeding them to feed into me. So, you know, I had made a comment even before, you know, when it first came out that, you know, like I could see why they would want that to be the case because of their, you know, um, brotherly love that they have. But I hope that everybody enjoys me on the show. You know, I'm just an actor doing my thing. And from that, I actually got fans who were for their relationship, but stuck up for me. So it was a really funny thing where they would like fight with the other fans who did not like me on the show. Um, But people really like separate on, on social media and platforms like that separate you from being an actual person. You know, they don't see you as a person. They just see you as, I don't know, a screen or, or something. And, you know, if you also look at it that way, then you can take yourself out of it because whatever you say does not uh, even come into uh, uh context to who I am and who I know myself to be. And if I allow you to dictate that, then I'm falling into, you know, like your power, you have the power over how I view myself and my identity. Now it's easy to say that I haven't been, you know, in, in the space where it has affected my job. I mean, I don't, I don't know, like I ended up breaking up on the show with that character and, you know, the, the persistence of, our characters not belonging together and the two firefighters kind of, you know, like uh, they wanted to still see them could have played a part in it. I don't know the, the, the writers or the producers didn't tell me any of that, but you know, at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm here to do my work. And if I know who I am, then I'm going to hold on to that. 
and, you know, no, that's not easy. And I can say that now. And some of it did, you know, like affect me, but at the end of the day, I'm like, I need to come back to that because I can't allow and feed into all of this drama and let these people who don't know me from Adam to uh, dictate how I feel about myself and how I feel about my work. No, I, I totally agree. I think, oh God, it's been a, it's been a recurring topic now in this podcast where I just keep talking. I just keep talking about like, look, I understand being upset about something, but don't go out of your way to harass the actors and then try to pass it off as criticism because it fucking ain't okay. Sending someone death threats over social media ain't criticism. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care. You can try to justify it all you want, but harassing someone to the point of them blocking you and saying, oh, they can't take criticism is not criticism. You are just using it as an excuse to pretend like you're criticizing, but you're just harassing. Right, right. It's harassment. You know, you can't wake everybody up. And people have a lot of garbage that they carry around, you know? We, we do, you know, like something happens, like you say, like you bump your, you get out of bed, you're, you're starting at neutral, then you bump your foot. And then like, sometimes for the rest of the day, you know, that it changes and shifts your whole day and affects you. And, and many people operate on that level. They operate on the level where they just take on a whole bunch of garbage. So social media and these platforms have become a great way to be able to transmute mute that garbage and spread that poison. And if you eat it, you will, you know, you will suffer from it. And so like, you know, waking these people up, sometimes you have to just like realize it's not your job. It's not your job. Um, and, you know, because one, nobody can change anybody. The person has to make the decision to change themselves. And maybe there should be some accountability on, on the way that, you know, like some of these people are affecting other people's lives but their motivations and, and whether they end up getting it or not is not necessarily like up to us. We do our best to, you know, try to grow and at the end of the day, feel, um, try to find some grounding and basis in, in, in how we feel about ourselves and where our intentions are. And, you know, hopefully uh, we can communicate those things respectfully and, you know, get back if we do end up falling off or getting berated by these people, you know, like, I think that, I mean, I think that there needs to be some accountability with that. And I think some people are doing that, but you know, it is, it is a part of what's happening now. So do your best not to eat the, the, the poison to eat the garbage with them, you know? And I mentioned this before, but it's become harder to criticize media because if you do criticize a show that's popular, people automatically assume that, oh, you're you're just one of those toxic people who's just complaining for the sake of complaining. And it's like, no. I <laughs> There's had, always an argument. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I had, you know, I have my issues with something, but it's like, oh. you know, and it's tough. It really is tough where you're trying to criticize something that's not very good, but, oh but it's God. also but it's also hated by really stupid people. And it's like, ah. <laughs> Everybody needs to know, like, okay, first of all, art is subjective. And these are all opinions. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you like something, great. If I don't like something, great. We have to go to war about it. You know, people, I mean, the, people thrive off of, like, drama and stuff. And so they create it. But, you know, like, art is subjective. 
right? And there are different pieces of art that are just more, uh, that, that are just well-received, more well-received universally, you know, that a lot more people like. Um, but um, there are there are things that aren't made that well, and and people still like those. Those are for those people. I think that I may think that that's bad, but those are for those people. I may express this or whatever, and they may go to war with me, and that's you know something that I can decide to participate in or or not. But art is subjective, and everybody's just giving opinions. When we like place our identity into these opinions, then it goes to a whole nother level, and that's what's happening. Everybody's placing their identity in their opinions, which is just their point of view from life. You know, there's, there's no really like right or wrong. There's just what has been more accepted and is more universal, maybe that we can base off of that standard, but that's still, it's not objective, you know? Yeah. That's another problem I have is like, so many people are just building their entire personality off of being a fan of something as opposed yeah. to just enjoying something. Well, that's what we teach, though, don't we? We teach people to buy into identity consistently. Like when you see any commercial, you're not buying a product. You're buying a life. You're buying a lifestyle. You're buying uh, who you are type of thing. And so we've been conditioned to do so. And that's just, you know, kind of like what happens and not, I, I think that that's unhealthy, but unless you're aware of it and people are making people aware of it, that's, you know, what or it's become like a default, you know? No, I totally agree. Like, I, I feel like, God, especially now where it's like, I really hate the fact that SAG-AFTRA is totally okay with the fact that influencers are actors now. <laughs> I like why why <laughs> do it all there's some I don't know I don't know how to... <laughs> like, I don't know how to uh, how to feel about that I think there I think I mean sometimes and I think it was just a part of my ego you know like wanting to you know uh do more work in acting or get some of these roles, you know, and, and when it would go to uh, a music artist or something like that, I'm like, well, you're a music artist, you're not an actor. Right. Um, and some of them weren't great, you know, in my opinion, and some are phenomenal, you know, and um, I haven't watched many influencers and things. Um, but, you know, I mean, there may be some people out there that, that are good, but, you know, I think, I don't know. I kind of have a hope that we will fall into what we feel is that we'll go to what we, uh, what resonates with us as authentic. And so, you know, yes, there may be these opportunities and people are looking at it as a point of sales, but some of those things don't last. You know, what does last is things that are authentic and hit us on a, a different level or just shake us in a whole other way. And I don't think that, um, you know, necessarily any popcorn talent that doesn't uh, resonate in that way is going to hold up. I don't think that, I mean, they may still try it because initially it's going to make money and, and Businesses, people, producers, uh, studio, whatever, 
want to go with what they feel like is going to make them money, you know, and some go with passion and some just end up hitting that sweet spot and getting both. I don't know. I I just feel like I'm living in a world I no longer understand. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sometimes you got to release from understanding too. You know, give your give your brain and your heart a break from trying to like figure everything out. You know, <laughs> I think the best advice I ever enjoy got. it and enjoy it yourself. You know, like you just said, enjoy it, enjoy <laughs> it, enjoy it. It's all an experience. You don't have to fix it. I mean, we want to fix things because we feel like you know it'll be um, better for us. But really, if we're not focusing on those problems, we focus on the things that we do enjoy. Then. Those things don't matter as much. I mean, and speaking of like of things that bring us joy, like how did, like, what were you doing to stay sane during the pandemic? Oh God, I fell in love. (laughs) I fell in love. I mean, yeah, that's what kept me sane, honestly. I was going through a really difficult time before the pandemic. I had um, experienced a lot of death that I never really experienced uh, before. Not that I didn't have any family that died, but not in this way. Um, I have a daughter. I don't know if you know that, but I have a daughter and uh, her father passed. um, And uh, shortly after, about like maybe several weeks later, my father passed and my acting father passed on the same day. And uh, it was uh, pretty heavy. I mean, of course, you know, it was, but it was it was a lot. And it totally shifted my, just was having an existential crisis, you know, my, the way that I viewed life, the way that I experienced life, you know, my faith um, in, in God and eternal life. And, you know, was was there that got me through like those first like few months. Um, But then I I didn't really want to connect in that way. I didn't really want to connect with, you know, more than just what was right in front of me. I'm like, Hey, you know, I still got my daughter. I'm still here. I know I'm, you know, like acting is is what I do. So I'm just going to go through the motions. And I didn't really, yeah, I, I didn't really feel like I saw anything ahead of right now because yo, like my people just, you know, dropped like that my whole world shifted in a, a day and um yeah and then I had connected with someone who I I knew um who was a, a friend of mine for a while and um yeah, we ended up hitting it off and it was like right before the pandemic and then uh then all through the pandemic and I was I was a little crazy. I was taking flights during the pandemic. <laughs> they were super cheap. Um, but, you know, that gave me a, I, falling in love, which I think is just such a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And that we should ascribe to do that, whether we're with someone or, or not, that that love um, and that the essence of being in love is just an essential essential element of, of life and, 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 and being able to return to a place of of joy and contentment and fulfillment. Um, I felt, uh, you know, a future, I felt 
you know, uh, purpose again. And, you know, like, um, and it was, and it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And we found each other in a, in a place of need, I think. And, uh, I mean, the pandemic is still going on. We ended up, uh, breaking up last year and that was a whole other, um, hit to my concept in life, having someone that I loved so deeply and became a resource of, of being able to, uh, grieve really. Um, and, uh, love again, um, still be alive, but not be connected with them. It was a mind, uh, for lack of a better word, it was mind fuck. <laughs> um, but that journey and that experience of um, learning to let go and, you know, the preciousness of, of life and, and actually being alive while you're alive. Because a lot of us, you know, going through life and uh, we're not living. We're focused in, in other places that aren't serving our 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 highest good, our highest self of, you know, and, and not that life isn't going to be, is just filled with like, oh, you know, like oh, my highest good and my divinity, but, you know, in the way of just like little small things and beauty of life and not focusing on all the negatives, but focusing on the gift that life is, uh, I was awakened to. Uh, no matter what my circumstance was at the time. And, and that's how I want to live and um, how I was able to find my power again. And I'm still doing that. I think, you know, finding that releasing, letting go, forgiving is all a part of, you know, um, realizing oneself and being able to, to live and, and be alive and not just, uh, going through the motions of, of life and having life happen to you instead of you happening to life. Um, and I'm, you know, I wouldn't have uh, experienced that in that way, in that vacuum probably of, of there being a pandemic and being able to heal. Um, if it, if it, it didn't happen, I don't know, you know, I knew that, you know, like my pandemic started in 2019 and just then the world was experiencing it with me in, in 2020, except for in this case, I was in love and I had hope. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, everyone's world kind of shifted at the same time. And that's just what I found uh, in that space of 2020 and uh, where it's landed me now. I, I think that's beautiful, honestly. I think um, one of the things that inspires me is listening to people's stories and especially people who have been through just hell and back. And whenever I'm feeling down, I just listen to those stories because that's what keeps me going that because and i've gone through it as well you know 2018 for me was a terrible year and i was close to you know doing something that um you know <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah yeah you can you can guess what i tried to to do in 2018 because uh you know I mean, I, I'm not comfortable talking about it that's why i'm you know <laughs> not not gonna say what it is but uh 
You don't have to. I, I get you. I get you. I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. Where um, I had, and I apologize for anyone who's heard the story before, but um, I had a mental, terrible mental breakdown in 2018. I felt like everything was pointless and I felt like just mm-hmm. nothing was working. And one day I just said, fuck it, you know, let's just reach out to someone and see if they will do, you know, this podcast. And they did. And that interview pretty much saved my life because it made, it Uh gave me new purpose. It's like, well, I mean, if you can get this person on, what is stopping you from getting that, this person on and that person Mm -hmm. on that person Mm -hmm. on? And it's like, Mm -hmm. that gave me new purpose. It's like, you know what? I'll just, you know, forget money. Forget money, forget the fame, forget everything. Do something for fun. Yeah. And let's have conversations. Let's, you know, talk about cartoons, acting, <laughs> what have you. Just have conversations because we don't have conversations anymore. Not at least meaningful ones anyway. Yeah. That's why I do this. If anyone cares, that's why I do what I do. I care. You found <laughs> what you love. That's it. That's it. Right there. That's it. You're like, let me detach from these things that I feel like should be happening. You know, our real needs and desires, you know, like, but let me go with what is going to feed me. Let me find my truth. Let me find my passion. And that will give me the hunger to continue. It does. It gives you the hunger to continue. You know, like what I, when you asked me about like what inspired me, you know, like, it's like my why inspires me. You know, like looking at, you know, like these different actors, of course, and these different stories of how people like made it through, like, yes, that inspires me. But going back to that reason of of when I felt in that place where I thought life was pointless, that I felt like life wasn't working for me and that I didn't deserve to be here, that I didn't want to exist, that my existence in and of itself was just painful. And I... I I knew that I couldn't be the only one to feel like that. And I had, you know, luckily at the time I had my daughter to be that for me, to be my anchor, to be here, to need to continue. And um, I'm so happy that I did because a part of that pain, a part of those things that tore at my soul, a part of what feeds me now these things that were a detriment to us at one point, or we looked at as a weakness can really be our, our superpower. A lot of the things that I, I did that, you know, um, uh, were not uh, congruent to who I wanted to be, but I felt trapped in are part of what led me into acting are part of what wanted me to understand people and, and why they failed me in whatever way and these unmet expectations and why my life wasn't where I wanted it to be or what I thought that it should be, or those feelings of unworthiness. And, and, and once I found, you know, in, in my faith and that all of this can't be for nothing, I started to feel alive again. And that reason, and um, it really feed you. And not only that, you start operating from a place of authenticity because you were going to go. So you don't, you know, you have less fucks to give in some way. And so when you start operating from there, then you see these things start to connect with you now. Like I'm sure when you started, 
you know, uh, putting yourself out there in that place and saying, you know, I'm going to let go of this. Then those things started to come to you. They started to align because you weren't grasping at them so tight because you weren't trying to make up for feeling unworthy. And life was just like, here, God was just like, here, bless you. You have it. Get it now. It, It sucks sometimes feeling like, you know, your, your soul is crushed in the process, but you know, so many beautiful things happen in the breaking breakthroughs can only happen in the breaking. And I just pray that people hear these stories and they continue and they don't go all the way and they reignite with their purpose and feel less alone. And that's a part of why I'm doing what I'm doing with my life. No, I I totally agree with you. And I feel like one of the things, because a lot of times um, imposter syndrome hits me, like whenever I book someone really (laughs) big and I talk to someone like really, really famous, I I just feel like, what the fuck are you doing here? Why are you talking to me and blah, blah, blah. But But then I remember like one, one simple sentence. It's just like, stop worrying about trying to impress everybody. Stop trying to be something that you're not. You are yeah. enough. You are enough. You are enough. You are enough. Even if, you know, whatever that is in all of you. Life just wants us to love ourselves unconditionally, you know, unconditionally with all my mistakes. Still love me. I am still enough, you know, but I loved when I heard that word. When I found out what that word, I'm like, oh, my God, everything makes so much sense. That's what I've been feeling. I've been feeling like I'm an imposter, like they're going to find me out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that I shouldn't be doing this, that I'm unworthy of this. I was like, no, just relax, you know. What I found in, in life, you know, whenever you delve into that, then it will give you what you think that you are, you know, like it will, you know, end up that way. You know, I've I almost lost some some work because of it. With Close Enough, I was experiencing major imposter syndrome. I was in here and I was in a place that I had, you know, one that I felt like saved my life and my daughter's life, you know, being able to like, I'm like, I might be homeless um, and give me a job. I need to be good. I need to do what you want me to do. How do I do this? And so I didn't trust in all the work that I had put in before. And, you know, like even like even the years before then, you know, and how I came in with Emily and I just like let go and operated in my authenticity. I didn't trust that anymore. I'm like, listen, we're in it now. And they're going to find out that you're not supposed to be here. You've never done this before. And, you know, like everything that I did with Emily ended up coming out angry because I just wanted to give enough energy. I wanted to give, 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 give. And I wasn't coming from like, okay, where is Emily coming from in this? Where am I coming from in this? Let me find some clarity in this rather than uh, just, you know, try to be good or think of what they could possibly want me to do, you know, but I did, I experienced that and they were questioning me in the role of Emily, you know, they, I had gotten a call like um, from my agent and manager and they were like, Hey, so what's going on with the show? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I've been feeling weird in it. And I had asked, you know, like I can do other things. I feel like I'm just being angry, but I didn't really get any, you know, like feedback or whatever. They're like, well, they're rethinking, you know, the role of Emily. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, yo, what am I, what am I going to do? I'm like, 
literally, I just moved into my place two months ago. Like this was what my, I felt like my livelihood was, you know, and I, I, I talked myself and everybody else out of it. And I, um, I, I, I just, I, every time I I face those things, I don't know if you're, you know, like a believer or or not, but I just, I get on my knees and I'm like, Joe, God, like what's, what's going on? Like, what, what is happening? Like, you got me here. Like, why am I, you know, facing this? And, you know, what I heard in that place was just like, Hey, um, hold on to your faith. If I got you here, you think I won't keep you here. And I listened to this, uh, sermon, uh, from, uh, a different pastor than the church that I was uh, going to at the time, one church LA. And he talked about like, show me the size of your faith and I'll show you the size of your God. Do you serve a God that can do all things? And I was like, well, I might as well, you know, like drink the Kool-Aid of everything's going to be great. And I'm going to live in that space. That's a space that I'm going to choose to live into because you know, what, what other options do I have right now? I could let this like crush my soul or I could be like, all right, what's next? Um, and so I uh, I wrote a nice email to the casting director and I just thanked her. And I told her, you know, like this, this opportunity came at, you know, uh, a very important time in my life. And, you know, like helped me and my daughter get into, you know, like our place now. And I'm really thankful. I've learned so much because I did. And, you know, I hope that maybe we could work together again in the future. And, um, yeah, and I felt good about that because I felt like a part of me was like, I kind of want to be sore that, you know, like, uh, that this was ending and, you know, be like, well, they don't know me, they don't see me, but I couldn't see myself. So, you know, like, let me bow out in grace and, and respect this experience, you know, and respect what's happening now. And, um, literally like I was in my kitchen and. I'm, you know, in acting class and my scene partner, who is now one of my best friends today, um, you know, we're sitting there and I was telling her this story and I was telling her like, and I felt like I was a crazy person because I was just like, yeah, so this is happening. And I don't know what, you know, like is next, but you know, I'm excited, <laughs> like, you know? Um, and she was like, you know, I feel like something uh, good is, is coming, you know, from this. And I was like, me too. And I honestly did feel that way. And I got a call back from my agent and she was like, yeah, so we don't know what's going on, but, um, you know, close enough. They, they think that, you know, like you are Emily. They, they don't think anybody could play Emily. They just want to have a meeting to further discuss the character. So what was happening in that moment in time and what I, I feel as though God was positioning me in, it was not a place of complacency and imposture, but because I was in this position that I had the authority over it. So let's come to the table and take a leadership in what we do, no matter what it is. If that obstacle position or whatever is being put in front of us, then we have the authority over it. Then it is ours. And, you know, don't, uh, give that power over to anyone else and, and and definitely not our fear or that voice that says I'm, I'm not good enough and I'm not worthy enough. And so I got to sit down there and I got to ask questions because I was afraid to ask questions because I was afraid that, you know, they'd be like, oh, she doesn't know what she was doing. But 
I'm, what am I expecting from myself? <laughs> you know, like I, I've dealt with being a, a perfectionist and wanting to be viewed as intelligent throughout my life. So I didn't want to ask those questions because I wanted to feel as though, or wanted people to perceive that I already knew what I was doing, but they knew that I didn't have any voiceover work before. They knew that I was just learning coming in here cold. So I asked those questions that I was afraid to ask. And I sat down there and I, you know, broke everything down and then gave myself permission to just be me and everything opened from there. And I was able to have fun in a role. I was able to bring that voice out. I was able to find and search for that voice without feeling like I needed to know everything and have it all together and be perfect. And yeah, it's uh, it's pretty great. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, you're still Emily. You're still doing it. <laughs> I'm still doing it. We're in season three now, okay? <laughs> but yeah, you know, like imposter syndrome is real. And I think that, you know, it has the opportunity to come up no matter how far along you've gotten in your career. You know? Um, but yeah, what you said, like feeding into it with truth that I am enough. I am here. I'm supposed to be here. I'm in the room and this and everything is how it should be right now. And let me connect with, with my truth and that I am enough. Yeah. I, I have nothing else to add to that. I think uh, that is a beautiful story. And I think that, and I'll say this right now on the record I'm someone who is very critical of people with no VO experience coming into <laughs> to, 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 to VO because it's, it's a totally different world. I mean, it's, it's, it's totally different. It's not, it is. it's, it's totally different. And like whenever I see actors, you know, on camera actors doing VO stuff, I'm more critical of their, them because it's like, you know, do they understand what it's like? You know, do they understand who their character is and blah, blah, blah. But, and I'm, not talking about out my ass, but I think that nobody else could have played Emily but you, honestly. Nobody. I, I can't think of a single other person that could have done that character justice than you because the comedic timing is great. The writing, you know, like she she just is, you know, that, that you know, nerdy, you know, mom. <laughs> <laughs> who tries her hardest and it yeah. just it's earnest it's real and you know mm. when when she you know when she um when her when her and josh face adversaries uh, you know face troubles you believe their relationship is legit it, it doesn't feel fake it doesn't feel manufactured it doesn't feel you know, it doesn't feel like, why is she with him? It, it's not like a Peter Griffin or and Lois. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not those, <laughs> those types of relationships where it's like, why are these two people together if they can't stand each other? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. That really does mean a lot. That really does. I mean, especially given what I just told you. But thank <laughs> you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. No, and because, and I feel like another thing, I'm I'm saying this as well because I I'm tired of always putting people down. We we as a society need to 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 
to bring people up and uh, and 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 I'll just say it you know you are you're great as Emily and I hope the show lasts Thank you. Me too. Lasts as long as as it does. <laughs> Me too. And I hope we get out there more. I hope pe- more people find out about the show. And you know, I mean, you know, my friends that I've told about it, they're like, "Oh my god, that's right where I'm at." You know, that that the the episode that I usually like sell to them outside of like all my like gym friends because I'm really like you know like active like now. I love uh, Josh gets shredded. I just think it's hilarious. I relate to it so much uh, within the fitness community, but. Um, the, um, the, the scene where they're going out, you know, like going out to the club. Cause I remember going out to the club, you know, like in like early twenties or whatever. And like what that is now. And I'm trying to get to bed at like nine o'clock. And if it's past nine o'clock, I think that the party is over, <laughs> you know, and everybody gets that, you know, the growing pains of life and, and being in a place where you thought your life was going to be one way or you think it should be another way. But at the end of the day, you know, coming to terms with how it is now and, and finding, you know, uh, uh, joy in that, you know? Um, yeah, I really hope that, um, more people catch on to the close enough tribe. And, and before we wrap up, like, do you have like any favorite lines or any favorite jokes that you, that you love from the show? Um, hmm. I mean, I don't know. No, I don't. I can't think of. I can't think of anything right now. Being put on the spot, I think Alex says the funniest shit. Though I love Alex's character, and he always has some craziest um, lines. For myself um uh, i don't know i don't know i didn't think of that because i got a few uh one of my favorite lines is you, okay, know, you tell me what one of my favorite lines is when you know josh gets shredded she's trying to talk to him and she's like josh i'm horny no oh yeah <laughs> i gotta tell you this i gotta go and then she's like oh it's like marble <laughs> I love that. I love how infatuated Emily was with him in that way. Just couldn't gain her composure. And another one of my favorites is um, the room parent episode where they're, you know, where Judy Greer holds you guys hostage. She pulls out Mm -hmm. a gun and and Emily goes, wait, why did you bake it into the tart? (laughs) (laughs) So sincere. That delivery just killed me. That's what I love about Emily. She's just like pointing out just the ridiculousness of everything, you know, like she's kind of like that voice, the voice of the audience, the voice of logic and reason. Like, what is what is going on here? Like one of one of the lines that I think of, too, you know, as you say, that one is is like, Alex, there's something really wrong with that guy. You know, like when she's in the perfect house and she's just talking and like assessing herself and and sort of like why she went into this house and, you know, played pretend with this fake family and got caught in this, you know, sitcom running sitcom and that she just wants to escape life sometimes and what it is. And and the fact that, you know, like their house is just an insane asylum. And, you know, Alex, nobody gets that guy. I love that. 
I love their like eclectic dysfunctional family that just works for them. There's going to be a lot of fun stuff um, and more crazy stuff this coming season. Look out for that. Also, I just want to point out, thank you for mentioning the perfect house episode. Cause uh, you guys did WandaVision <laughs> first. So I don't care. <laughs> you did it first. <laughs> oh my God. It tripped me out so much. That episode tripped me out because I feel like that's like a real dream I've had where you just get like stuck in this place and you're like, wait, what's real? What's not, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, how do I get out of here? Poltergeist. <laughs> I love how in the end, Dave just says, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just stay in. He's yeah. <laughs> like, no, he closed the door and just uh, his wife with, three kids just hanging off of her and like coming towards him like a monster's like no you know what i'll live in this fake reality classic dave classic <laughs> dave that's so good that's uh, all, right. So- all right i think we've been talking for like two hours now and uh i, I gotta get you know you got i gotta get going uh but um thank you so much for taking the time off to do this and before we sign off, um, can you give us an update on what you're currently working on and uh, where can people find you online? Uh, I can be found at I on Instagram at iGabrielleWalsh. Um, on Twitter, Gabrielle E. Walsh. Um, I'm not on Twitter that much, though, but I'm mostly on, on Instagram. So iGabrielleWalsh on Instagram. I have um, an indie project coming out called Unk, where I... Um, I play it. The story is about uh, this man who uh, his whole family is his uh, brother and his nephew. And he kind of has lost his ambition in life. And then his brother passes and he has to take care of his nephew. And I play his, his ex-girlfriend who comes back into town and sort of has their life together and and helps him work through it. Um, yeah, so that's coming out uh, this year. Still don't have a release date on that <laughs> as well, but it's coming later this year. Close enough. Season three, fall, hopefully this year as well. Um, and yeah, and yeah, that's, that's what's going on and that I can speak about at this time. Thank you so much for taking the time up to do this. And, you know, if you ever want to come back, you know where to find me. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was, I had a lot of fun. I feel like, yeah, we explored a lot here. This is good. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.